today on Ag News Daily. With the higher inflation numbers, with the fear of the global economic uh, jitters happening everywhere, the U.S. dollar is still overall viewed as a safe haven for investor money. So we're continuing to see the dollar overall inch higher, even though it had a little bit of a correction in the last couple of weeks. Welcome back to a Monday episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Hope everybody had a great weekend. I'm Tanner Winterhoff, joined again by Cassidy Zirkel. Surprise! The dream team stays together. How's Cassidy doing? I'm great. I'm sure our listeners are even better knowing that I'm back with you, Tanner. Absolutely. One of the best ways to kick the week off with the two of us here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Did you have yourself a good weekend? I did have a great weekend. Probably not as good as Delaney did since she is officially married. Yes. Yes. So congratulations to Delaney. We'll get that update here when she rejoins us this week. But for today, let's jump right into some news from the Federal Railroad Administration. So on July 28th, so the end of last week, they announced the proposed rule requiring a minimum of two train crew members for over-the-road rail operations to be cut back to one. So the FRA last tried to implement this rule in 2016, but was shut down by the Trump administration in 2019. The FRA, that's the Federal Railroad Administration, said it would allow current one-person operations to be grandfathered in, like short lines or passenger trains, and would let the railroad petition for new single-person operations following a federal review only if it passed certain standards. They said there are some exceptions for certain low-risk operations where you can put a lot of mitigating measures in place to protect railroad employees. But Cassidy, as it states here, the notice of public rulemaking has discovered that rail workers have been fighting for this during their ongoing contract negotiations. Rail unions have made it clear that they want a permanent end to the campaign for one-man crews. Workers want at least two crew members to be a permanent norm. So I think this is pretty telltale that uh, we have talked about the bottlenecks in transportation industry that the sought-after workers, the engineers of these trains are hard to find. So if we had the mandate requirement of two per train down to one, we might get more cargo moved quickly But the employees, the workers union are saying they want company on these over country or cross country trips. Well, Tanner, I have been trying to get someone on the show to talk a bit about the rail industry lately. If we could get any of our listeners that may be listening that are involved in rail at all, we would love to have you on. And staying involved with politics and policies, I think we're all aware that Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi is planning a Taiwan trip this week. She's set to arrive tomorrow night. And in the wake of this, well, before it happens, the Taiwanese dollar has already began to crater. And I'm curious to see what that is going to do to the rest of the global markets. Yeah, it, it's an emerging trade partner of ours, uh, obviously a strategic trade partner. And we need to probably help monitor their economy. We can't support the economies of the entire world, uh, but certainly need to take a look. But when we continue to look at the Russian-Ukraine battle, there is good news, though. A Ukrainian ship carrying just shy of 27,000 metric tons of corn 
left Ukraine for the first time since the war started. So the grain left Odessa. The ship, the Rizzoni, which weigh anchor out of the port of Odessa, was led by a government vessel through a minefield that was laid by Ukrainian forces to forestall any attempt by Moscow to launch an amphibious assault. A rescue ship followed them from the Russian Navy, which controls the Black Sea, granted them safe passageways. That was a Ukrainian ship in the front and a Russian Navy ship in the back. The Rizzoni, like I said, was carrying just shy of 27,000 metric tons of corn. The United Nations is reporting uh, that it has been stuck there since February 18th before the start of the war. So this comes after news that grain tycoon Mr. Vatatursky of Ukraine was killed after the Russian shelling that hit Mykolov. Uh, he and his wife were killed during the destruction of that city. They died when a missile hit their home overnight. So in the wake of that unfortunate news, it is good to see that there is the first ship getting out of port. Now, Cassidy, there's still grain on track and in ports. There are 16 more ships waiting to leave Odessa in the coming days. The Rizzoni was headed towards Istanbul, then Tripoli and Lebanon according to Ukrainian and Turkish officials. But these other 16 ships, we will see what the fate of them are and if they're allowed to leave port as well. Well, Tanner, thank you for that update on Ukraine. I know we're all watching that closely as it keeps affecting our markets here. Another bit of global news for us. I know Delaney had reported a lot on Sri Lanka back in the spring. And there are articles coming out that critics are citing Sri Lanka as proof that organic agriculture does not work. I think this is coming in the wake of their president doing the overnight rule that all of their agriculture would be organic and then their quick decline as an economy overall that we have seen from afar. Yeah, I think that was, as most of our listeners would agree, a, a knee-jerk reaction to fertilizer prices, trying to organically grow a crop without the use of commercialized fertilizer uh, from Russia. Uh, there are some news of Canadian tariffs coming on fertilizer imports, so we will track some of those articles down more as the week progresses. But jumping to Pennsylvania, farmers there who invest in best practices and equipment to improve water and soil quality in an effort to make their farming operation more sustainable, will now be eligible to receive some of the best tax credits in the country. The Resource Enhancement and Protection Program, known as REAP, is a first-come, first-serve product available in Pennsylvania as an income tax credit designed to offset those adopting more sustainable farm practices. There's $13 million available in credits for the 2022-2023 tax year. Farmers have led their way, investing heavily in cleaner water and productive soil, and they deserve to be reimbursed. Agricultural Secretary Russell Reddick says the REAP tax credits are just one of many ways Pennsylvania is investing in their farmers. Uh, Pennsylvania is looking to be a leader in the nation as they offer these REAP credits that can also be measuring those that limit runoff from high animal traffic areas like barnyards, as well as using cover crops stream buffers, preventing erosion, helping to keep nutrients out of the water practice. So REAP eligible practices 
will be monitored according to the department. Farmers have the ability to receive tax credits on 50 to 75% on the eligible out-of-pocket costs. So Pennsylvania looking to lead the way for potential sustainable tax credit reform across the U.S. Well, speaking of sustainable practices, Tanner, I read an article talking about Low Carbon Beef LLC. They have announced that they will be offering a new certification through the USDA and their company that qualifies wean calves as LCB enrolled, which signals that these calves were raised with reduced greenhouse gas emissions and helps them further into the other low carbon beef certifications for their older cattle as they go into slaughter. Yeah, I always wondered how that could be tracked from the producer to the end product. As we've discussed on the Farm for Profit podcast, the practices of regenerative grazing and what that does for a calf once it's sold at market to the producer who's going to finish it. So interesting there to see we might be on to something. Well, I tell you what we are losing a lot of is United States farmland. From 2001 to 2016, the U.S. lost a comprised 2,000 acres of farmland and ranch land every day. That adds up to 11 million acres of farmland that has been paved over, fragmented, or developed, according to the American Farmland Trust. So Sarah Schaefer of the American Farmland Trust released on the 29th of July that if that trend continues, another 18.4 million acres will be converted between 2016 and 2040. That is nearly the size of South Carolina. So 6.2 acres are projected to be converted into urban and highly developed land, such as commercial buildings, industrial buildings, high density residential development. Another 12.2 million will be converted to low density residential area that range from large lot subdivision to uh, proliferation of scattered houses. Nearly half of the conversion will occur in the nation's most productive and versatile, resilient farmland, says the American Farmland Trust. So its latest report in Farms Under Threat 2040, the American Farmland Trust says that the trend could accelerate further due to high housing prices in metro areas and new opportunities for remote work. So if the pace increases, the 24.4 million acres of farmland could be converted by 2040. That's almost a million acres of land per year. So not a good news for a resource that people say all the time we're not making any more of. Exactly, Tanner. That is pretty terrible news. And I'll tell you what else we're losing a lot of is wildlife. According to the Boston Globe, a bit of puffins in the Gulf of Maine are struggling struggling to survive due to the warming of the water in that area. The population has dropped significantly since last year, and I'm sure this is not the only bit of wildlife that we've discussed on the podcast that is starting to decline due to climate change. Yeah, that's not good news. We we certainly uh, need to do what we can to keep species intact. But before we jump into our markets conversation for today, just want to hit here high level. <coughs> just want to hit here high level on... Uh, the crop side of thing, corn futures are trading 19 to 21 cents lower here midday and soybean futures were down 65 to 72 cents here midday. So as we jump into our conversation, wheat itself 
also for 24 to 27 cents off. But we will jump into our conversation for market analysis to see how the market's closed for today. As anticipated, it's time for our Market Monday segment. It is our pleasure to have Naomi Bloom, the Senior Markets Advisor for Total Farm Marketing, uh, joining us. Sorry about the hesitation there. I couldn't read my own handwriting, Naomi. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's just a taste of the Mondays and how everything's being put together. So for our listeners today, could you kind of give us a recap on what the grains ended up? And then we'll hit into some specific news portions. Yeah, absolutely. Corn today and soybeans, we all fell lower this morning. Uh, corn at one time down about 15 cents, beans at one time down about 70, and the wheat at one time down about 25 cents. So the markets were uh, lower today for a mixture of factors, outside market concerns, fears of U.S. recession, global recession. There was some weather forecasts that had changed, and there was rain going over the radar in Illinois overnight. Some places around Peoria picked up an inch, so that weighed on markets. Um, and then also there's a little bit of a seasonal factor where usually the first couple of weeks of August, grain prices, specifically corn and beans, have a tendency to pull back. So with all that happening, plus headline news on Fox News and CNN that there was indeed a ship leaving Ukraine that was loaded with grain, uh, just a combination of negative news weighed on everything, and we just didn't have any friendly news to prop it up. So definitely an ugly case of the Mondays for sure. Yeah, and that was going to be my cue question. It seems like there was just a lot of little factors out there that all pointed in the same direction to where we really just couldn't grab hold. But what do you think this looks like for the rest of the week? Will, you know, soybeans are, is the market that slid the most. Do you see more erosion of price this week or will we stabilize? I think that we'll probably end up starting to stabilize and see that soybean complex start to trade into a very short-term sideways trading pattern. Now, it's a, it's a pretty big range that's been established, uh, but what we're watching, of course, is every single weather forecast will have crop progress ratings out Monday afternoon this week and Monday afternoon next week, and then next Friday is the big August USDA report. So looking at soybeans, they're going to struggle to get above $15 right now for the short term. Um, but ultimately, the $13 area is strong support underneath. So it's a dynamic trading range. It is really, really big. Uh, but I do think that prices will just um, have some big volatility and range trading over the next couple of weeks, just watching every single forecast, trying to keep an eye on export news and crop conditions. Naomi, I know I saw that the southern states got a bit of needed rain this over the weekend, and then we have some heat moving into the Corn Belt. What, which of these areas of weather are we needing to be watching the most? But we want to keep an eye on multiple factors because, you know, it had been so dry over portions of Kentucky and parts of Tennessee, and now they've got too much rain. Uh, we've got Illinois and Indiana overall seeming like they're okay but it's that northwestern portion of Iowa that is just continuing to suffer under drought, parts of eastern Nebraska, parts of eastern South Dakota that are just very, very dry. And so we want to see if they can get any rain at all with this heat that's coming through. 
or otherwise the trade is going to go back to assuming that it's not going to be a record crop out there. Now, keep in mind, soybeans rallied two bucks last week, so they are pricing in the weather right now. So this is it's happening. That's why the bean market is staying supportive. Uh, but every single weather forecast that comes along the way will be traded. And weather forecasts, of course, come out uh, for the big ones for the market that we watch at noon and then the early morning market one that comes out for weather forecasts. And that's where day traders have their fun, just trading differences in the weather forecasts that occur. Yeah, that is something that we reported on today. The other thing that we reported on just before this conversation, like you said, is the successful or what appears to be successful first ship of grain leaving the port of Odessa. And there are statements that there are more, 16 to 18 more ships still at port that could be released. What kind of impact will that have if they are able to leave loaded? Well, I got to tell you, I think it's already priced in the market with the price sell-off that we have seen for the wheat complex and that recent sell-off that we had for corn. So I think that news is fully factored in, but going forward, the question then will be shifting to the grain that is growing in Ukraine, how much is there? We have seen that some Russians had been setting fire to Ukrainian grain fields. So now we're going to try to figure out you know, what actually is going to be harvestable within Ukraine, and that'll be the next thing that trade focuses on. On the upcoming August USDA report, we'll be watching so many factors on it with global production, global demand. We can see changes to U.S. acres for planted acres. That's something that normally doesn't happen on the August report. But of course, because of the late planting spring that we had, we can see that shift on this report. So um, the green news essentially for the short term, I think is factored in. Um, but the bigger thing would be if they can't get those additional ships out then that's a problem. And moving on to meats, Naomi, how did they end the day and what factors are impacting them the most right now? Yeah, so looking over at the cattle complex, um, October cattle finished at 142.62, up 40. These fat cattle at 148.5, up 35, while the feeders were up about 150 to 175 points. Um, grain markets being down today was supportive for the cattle complex. While the hogs finished about 20 to 40 lower, um, pretty quiet there. So for the cattle market, um, I think the bigger thing right now is that there's a clash between near-term production running high because we've got lots of cattle coming to market because of the drought, poor pasture conditions, higher grain prices. So we've got short-term supply running a little bit higher. But then when you look down the road, production is going to be getting lower going into fourth quarter because we will have less livestock available for slaughter down the road because of everything that is being slaughtered right now. So we're going to see, um, looking ahead even to next year, first and second quarter production levels dropping substantially because of low numbers. So that's longer term supportive. Um, so it's kind of a clash between two different things. In the short term, ample supply, bigger picture, uh, we're going to have lower production numbers, and that's why the deferred contracts maintain uh, some higher price values. They are factoring in the lower production coming. Yeah, I'm glad that you are thorough in your explanations because a lot of that ties together. Uh, another thing that we've kind of been reporting on here, the two items in 
our Ag News Daily podcast has been the strength of the dollar and what crude oil has been doing. Do you have any insights on those two markets before we wrap up? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So with the higher interest rates, with the higher inflation numbers, with the fear of the global economic uh, jitters happening everywhere, the U.S. dollar is still overall viewed as a safe haven for investor money. So we're continuing to see the dollar overall inch higher, even though it had a little bit of a correction in the last couple of weeks. The overall trend continues to be up. So at some point, that higher dollar does weigh on commodities because it's um, it's trickier for other countries to want to import a lot of product from us because of currency exchange rates. And then looking over at crude oil, that market posted some pretty big topping signals um, about a month or so ago, and they've been gyrating along just like the grain markets have. But the concern is that um, with higher inflation, is that finally, are we going to finally see Americans start to back off on some of their road trips that they've done? It was like we had all that pent-up demand from COVID. Everybody said, you know, hell or high water, I'm getting out of here this summer. And they went on road trips, and they did everything that they'd been wanting to do. So that demand for crude oil was there. But now as we head into the end of summer and the beginning of the school year, I think we're going to start to see a pullback on that. And globally, with the recession talk from a global aspect, we're going to see if demand starts to wane as well. Now, one last real quick thing with uh, crude oil is that OPEC is going to be meeting this week. So we want to keep an eye if they're going to be increasing production or not, because crude oil prices will take a cue from that as well. Well, Naomi, we're really thankful for you coming on today and talking markets with us. And we'll be looking forward to having you on again. Now, if our listeners want to reach out to you and talk to you about markets or anything, how can they get a hold of you? Just give me a call at 800-334-9779. Just ask for Naomi. Or feel free to email me. My address is naomi at totalfarmmarketing.com. The two weeks in a row, I think our knowledge on the markets, or at least the right questions to ask, are shaping up pretty nicely. Absolutely. And I love to have the female power on talking us through the markets. Fun to talk with the ladies through these issues. Absolutely. But for today, I think that's enough. So what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 